about this topic is as a result of the reality that, uh, you know, every year at this time, we, we think about how we can start over, how we can begin again, how we can improve our lives. And so, you know, all of us do different things. We set goals and, you know, we get gym memberships and we go on diets and delete apps and all kinds of other stuff. And, and of course, all of those things are okay as far as they go. But one of the things we've been saying is most of the time, we tend to look at a new year as a time for self-improvement. And it's all about, here's what I'm going to do, and I'm finally going to achieve my epic self and live my best life now. I'm going to get in shape, and I'm going to lose weight, and I'm going to accomplish all my goals. But what we've been asking is this. What if, rather than focusing on how we can improve our lives, what if we started the new year by focusing on what God has done for us, by focusing on, on what God wants to do as he works through us so that he can bless others? What if we live and act and think as if God blesses us so that we can be a blessing? Well, that is what the passage we're going to be studying today is all about. It's Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to tell you, this passage may be uh, the most central passage in all the Bible, uh, the most important passage in all the Bible that you've never really understood. It really is one of the most pivotal uh, portions of Scripture to the storyline, the flow, the whole, the whole thought of God's word. And so I want you to hear it with that thought in your mind as we begin to unpack it. Let's read God's word together. Genesis 12, beginning in verse one, it says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And all God's people say amen. amen. This is God's word for us today, Southwind. So as we are working our way through these three verses, I think we're gonna see three things that God always wants for his people. Uh, out of these three always we're gonna look at, I want it to do three things. I, I want you to learn something, and I want you to feel something, and then I want you to do something. So let's start by learning something. This truth is an extremely important truth to understand if you're gonna understand the flow of the whole Bible as well as your whole life. And so if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. It is always God's plan to bless the world through his people, always. And again, I don't think it would be possible for me to, to overemphasize the importance of this passage in the Bible. You, you could say that the whole story of the Bible hinges on what these verses say. See, everything before this leads up to this, and everything after this is the working out of this, the fulfilling of the promise that God makes to Abram. 
But to see this, I think, I think you have to understand what comes before Genesis 12, what comes after. So, so let's review uh, the thought flow uh, of Genesis. See, the Bible opens is in this book, Genesis, and in chapters one and two, it's God creating the world, and, and God places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so as the, the Bible story begins, what we see is three key elements, and they are, they are people place, and purpose. And we actually see all these three through the entire storyline of the Bible right here. It's people. God creates Adam and Eve. He, he does this, we're told, so that they can have a relationship with him. He, he walks in the garden with him, and, and God puts these people in a place, the Garden of Eden, and he puts them in this place so that they can enjoy and take care of his creation. He, he's giving them a purpose, Genesis 1 and 2 tell us that God creates Adam and Eve in his image. And if you read the storyline, what is the first thing you see God do uh, to humanity? If it's in verse 28 of chapter 1. It says that God blesses them. And so on the very first page of the Bible, we, we see that God is so gracious. The first thing he does is he blesses humanity, and then he gives them a purpose. And here's what you may not have ever thought about. They're not actually supposed to stay in the garden. See, lots of people, you know, they think of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve there. They're just kind of like, you know, hanging out with the giraffes and the hippos, eating mangoes and pineapple. You know, it's kind of like a zoo in Disneyland, all in one without the bugs and out the crowds and the lines and all of that kind of stuff. Everything's perfect until sin enters the world. Now, the Garden of Eden was paradise, but do you pay attention to what God says to do? God calls them to work and, and take care of it. They have a purpose. And God also, even at this point, sends them out from the garden in order to spread the blessings of God and his reign. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So right at the beginning, God's blessing includes God's call to go out and to steward God's creation and to spread God's blessings to the ends of the earth. And that's how the story begins. But of course, sin enters the world in Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve, they, they choose autonomy over intimacy. Rather than continuing to do life with God by obeying God and trusting God, they decide that they can determine right and wrong, that, that they can be the ones who know what they should do, and they, they eat from the one tree God told them to avoid. And just think about this, the, 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 the context of this. God has blessed them with so much. I mean, he puts a man and a woman in the garden naked. Lots of fun, lots of joy that's supposed to be there, lots of food, lots of beauty. It's all there, all for them. Just one tree that they couldn't eat from. But they choose autonomy over intimacy with God. And their sin, of course, fractures their relationship with God. And then it shatters the goodness of God's creation. You could, you could think about it like this. Adam and Eve are supposed to leave the garden to spread the blessings of God throughout the earth. And instead, they were cast out of the garden where they spread the curse of their sin. Now, as you keep reading the story in Genesis, it actually just keeps getting worse 
until a couple of chapters later, God wipes the whole world out with a flood and, and things start over. But again, sin keeps getting worse. Sin grows stronger until sin actually kind of crescendos in Genesis 11 with this story that we read about the, the, the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel is put in this to show us this uh, attempt on humanity's part to build up into the heavens in their own strength. Now, and I'll think big picture. Think about what's going on. What does Genesis 1 and 2 say that God calls humanity to do? He, he calls them to spread out. Why? Well, they are to spread the blessings of God and his goodness for the glory of God's name. But what is happening here at Babel? They're coming together and they're building up. They're not living for the glory of God's name. What are they doing? Read this story. They're trying to make a name for themselves. And don't we live today in a Genesis 11 world? People everywhere who think the purpose of life is to build a platform and make a name for themselves, build their own kingdoms. And we today, just like those people back then, we experience the brokenness and the pain that comes from sin, from, from living in a world that's rejected God, who's the source of all goodness. Back in Genesis, all this crescendo of rebellion against God builds and builds and builds through Genesis 11. And how does God respond? God responds with grace. God doesn't give up on his creation. God gives what really is a new beginning in Genesis 12. He doesn't say, I can't believe, I made you people, I loved you, I blessed you, and then you rebel against me, I'm done with you. What, what does God say? What does God do? Well, God responds with grace. God pursues his people with love and mercy. He begins again with a man named Abram. And that's what, that's what we see in Genesis 12, verse one. Again, it says, the Lord had said to Abram, and of course, uh, you know that his name is later gonna become Abraham. And, and many of us uh, think that we know a lot about Abraham. We've heard about Father Abraham who had Many sons, and many sons had, you know, Father Abraham, and he's this great, great hero of the faith. That's what it says in Hebrews 11. But when this starts, when God speaks, that is not Abram at all. See, God, he did not look down on the Genesis 11 mess that sin had made and said, you know, if I could just find one person who's got their act together, then I'd have someone to work with. You know, he didn't say, here's Abram, and, and he's a good guy, and he has attended church every Sunday for at least a whole year now, and he's been memorizing lots of verses, and I could work with that. God doesn't say that. We are told at the end of Genesis 11 that Abram's father is named Terah. Terah means moon. We know from history and archaeological studies that the city in which they lived, the city called Ur, was a center of lunar worship. In other words, Abram's family is a family of idolaters. And this is actually confirmed. You go a few books into the Old Testament to the book of, of Joshua, and, and there uh, we are told that Abraham's family were idol worshipers. We're actually, as we read this story and we study things, we, we actually see, and you can look it up on a map uh, sometime in your Bible, 
that Abram and his family were living in the region where Babel was, the region where the Tower of Babel was being built. And so what that tells us is that God, in his grace, he goes to the very people who are rejecting him, the very people who are rebelling against him, thinking they don't need him. And he says to them, I'm going to start over. And he picks this man, Abram. God reaches out to Abram, speaks. He says, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And, and notice that he's calling him to something, but he's also calling him away from something. He's calling him out of something. He says, leave your country, leave your family. God's calling him to leave his, his source of identity, to leave his security, to leave his comfort. He's taking him to a place where all he has is God. It's something new, and this is so important for us to see this because here's the mindset that so many people, maybe, maybe even some of you have in terms of who God is and what he's about in your life. See, we see here that following God doesn't mean that you get to keep your life just the way it is and then like add some God stuff to it. That's how a lot of people think. You know, I've been working on my physical health, been working on my mental health. I want to get real healthy like that. I've been working on my career, been working on my family, and now I kind of need to sprinkle a little God on top. That's not at all what we see here. That's never what we see anywhere in the Bible. What's very clear here is that when God comes into our lives, he's not an add-on. I just want to ask you, do you think God's optional? Do you see God as like this option you get to pay a little extra for? And you put them on your life, and it's going to be better than it was before. If that's what you think, you are so wrong. And you're going to miss out on what God has for you. God calls Abram to this journey of faith. And I want you to see that in Genesis 12, we see again those three elements we saw back in Genesis 1 and 2, people, place, and purpose. Look again. Let me read those verses. Don't miss this. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. That's a place. He's calling him to a place. He says next, I will make you into a great nation. In other words, you're going to be a people, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. There's purpose. The pattern is there. and You just break this down. He's, he's promising a place. We we know uh, from our perspective that's going to be the land of Canaan. And because God promised this land to Abram, it's going to become known as the what? The promised land. And the Bible says that this place, this land of Canaan is, is going to be like, it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. Have you ever read that and thought, that kind of sounds like the Garden of Eden? It does, doesn't it? God promises a place but he also promises a people. And, and I hadn't mentioned yet, you may already know this, that Abram, at this point in the story, he's not this young, strong man full of potential and energy. He is 75 years old. He is childless. So how in the world can God tell him he's gonna become a nation? But God does. God promises a people who will live in this place, and there is a purpose behind all of it. It is not, it is not, it is not so that you can live your best life now. The purpose is very clear. Look at verse two again. Great nation, I will bless you. Great name, why? So that, 
so that you will be a blessing. And then verse three comes and expands and, and extends the purpose and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God's plan for his people is far beyond, far beyond the place of the promised land. I am blessing you, God says, so that you can reach the nation, so that you can spread the blessings of my reign to all the peoples and all the places and all the earth. Oh, here's what's so powerful about this. God, as he always does, refuses to let human sin derail his kingdom purposes. And there's a really cool way we see that. If you were to go back to Genesis 3 and look for this, you would see that the word curse is mentioned five times. And the curse, of course, is God's judgment as a result of sin. But in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God mentions blessing five times. Very intentional. God is reversing the curse. God is showing how he will renew his creation through his people that he calls unto himself. One more thing I want you to notice, and this is different slightly than Genesis 1 and 2. Like, like I said, you have people place purpose in both, but in Genesis 1 and 2, it's a command. God commands Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And it is a command that Adam and Eve and everyone since them has failed to keep. But what's commanded in Genesis 1 and 2 is promised in Genesis 12. God says to Abram, I am going to bless the world through you. I will make you a great nation I will give you a place. I will make you a blessing. That, that's, that's Genesis 12. And you, you see when you put all this together that Genesis 12 is about God making this pivotal promise to reverse the curse and to renew creation. Why? So that he can bring his blessing to all the people of the earth. And here's the thing, the rest of the Bible, all of it, Genesis 12, all the way back to Revelation and past that to the maps, <laughs> All of it is about God fulfilling this promise and this purpose. Now, I want you to see this really clearly, how throughout the Old Testament, these elements of people in place and purpose are there, God fulfilling his promise. And to do that, I wanna do a really quick flyover of the Old Testament, summarizing it in five words in about five minutes. And uh, I, I came across this, I thought it was really helpful. Um, and I know sometimes, you know, the Old Testament is, is difficult, right? It's confusing, 39 books, and there's all these hard to pronounce names, and there's all these strange customs and historical cultural details that we don't understand. So I'm going to give you these five kind of hooks, these five words uh, to understand the Old Testament. And they all begin with the letter E. And the first one is the word Eden. Because the Old Testament starts in Eden, the Garden of Eden. And there's that people, that place, that purpose. And Adam and Eve are called to spread God's blessings throughout the earth. But then, but then God comes to Abram and Abraham as he becomes known and his descendants, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then Jacob, of course, has 12 sons and God changes Jacob's name to Israel and Jacob. His 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And now they're, you see this, they're becoming, they're becoming a great people. But at the end of Genesis, maybe you remember the story, there's this famine and they go to Egypt to get food and, and God provides for them there and they end up settling down in Egypt. And 
Egypt is the second word, Eden and Egypt. And God's people are becoming numerous. They're becoming a great people, but notice they're in the wrong place. They're in the wrong place. They're under a harsh king, Pharaoh. And so they cry out to God and God comes and God redeems them. And this word redeemed, of course, means to set free. God sets his people free from slavery in Egypt. And Moses leads them through the Red Sea, traveling toward the promised land. But there's this like 40-year bump in the road, a little bump in the road, 40 years. They're wandering around in the wilderness because they, they distrust God and they grumble This happens for 40 years until all the the faithless and grumbling people die off and they're ready to go into the promised land. And so we see there's Eden and then there's Egypt, now the promised land. And there in the promised land, there's a kingdom. So the third word is empire. King Saul, King David, King Solomon. And this is actually the high point of the Old Testament. David, he is the, the great king and God's promises are being fulfilled at least partially. They've become a great nation, a great people. They're, they're in the right place, the promised land, and they are a blessing to some other people. Remember the story of the queen of Sheba coming to learn from Solomon? We see that she's blessed, but this is just partial fulfillment at best. They're great people, but they haven't, blessed all the families of the earth. They haven't reached the nations. They haven't fulfilled their purpose, not even close to the promise God makes to Abram in Genesis 12. And later on, in the prophecy of Isaiah, in chapter 49, you get this glimpse of how this is only partial fulfillment. This is a messianic passage, and one of the things that God says is right here to his people. Uh, Isaiah 49, 6, it says this. He says, God says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. See, this purpose of God, it's still there. It's always, always moving toward it. And so there's Eden and Egypt and an empire, this partial fulfillment. Fourth word is exile. God's people continue over hundreds of years sinning against him and God ends up judging them through the surrounding nations. Israel is dragged off into Assyria and Babylon where they are enslaved once again. And that brings us to the final word. The Old Testament ends with expectation. There's this partial return to the promised land. But there is in God's people this longing, this expectation for a Messiah, the anointed ruler that God has promised. God has promised to bless the world through his people, but they failed and failed again and again. And so God promises now that he's going to send an anointed one who will be a king and a prophet and a priest. He's a Messiah, and he will bring God's blessings to the nations. So that's the Old Testament in about five minutes. And I told you that I, I wanted you to learn something, right? And so what do I want you to learn? Well, I want you to learn what I said at the beginning of this. I want you to learn that God's plan has always been, always been to bless the world through his people. That was his plan in Genesis 1 through Genesis 12 to Isaiah 49, all the way throughout the Old Testament. His plan 
has never been to respond to the sin in this world by just setting the world aside and like settling for our souls where he takes us up into the clouds. Never been his plan. His net plan has never been to look down on earth and find all the good people and like get rid of the bad people. The plan has always, always been to restore people and to make God's blessings available to all people. The plan has never been for God to have one people and one nation. His plan has always been to bless all nations, all peoples, all families of the earth. So that's our first always. Here's our second. It is always God's will that God's people Rejoice in God's blessing. Now, I hope you've learned something. Now, I want you to feel something. And what I want you to feel is gratitude. But have you ever noticed you can't make someone feel gratitude? You've tried this with your kids, right? How many of you have said to your kids, you should feel grateful? Just, Just a quick question. How's that working for you, right? Do they automatically say, you are so right, I should feel grateful. What an ungrateful little child I am. They, they never say that, right? You can't, you, know, you can't command gratitude. I mean, God commands gratitude. But, but again, you always have to remember, God can do things you can't do, okay? Because he's God and you're not, right? So God can command gratitude, but, but we can't just make ourselves feel gratitude. But what I can do, what I want to do, is just show you how very blessed you are. And you are so blessed. God has blessed you immensely, far more than any of us can ever imagine. And you know, I'm, I'm praying that as we meditate for a few moments on some, just some of the incredible blessings of God in our lives, that gratitude will just start to well up within our hearts. And so, so to just think about this, in all the pain and the violence and the chaos of sin, what does God do in our passage? When God reaches down and he calls one man, a pagan named Abram, and he says, through you, I'm going to bless the nations. And, and God blesses Abraham's descendants and they become the nation of Israel. And, and what you see throughout the Old Testament and throughout history is this blessing and it's spreading from one generation to the next, from one country and one language to the next, from one era of history to the next and the next and the next. And finally, it's come to us. We, do you realize this? We are recipients of this promise that God makes in Genesis 12. You are blessed behind what you can imagine. And again, as we we talk about this, we have to to kind of face the the way this word has become used in our culture. And I, I know, I know, this word blessed is at the top of the list of Christian cliches. You know, like, how you doing, brother? Just blessed, brother, just blessed. Blessed by the best. Don't worry about the rest. Right? This word can just be so cliche. And, and it's really not even only Christians that, that do that. All you have to do is, you know, like we, we've said before, go on Instagram, look at hashtag blessed. And, 
course, when you do that, we talked about this a few weeks ago, you see lots of selfies and you see lots of new clothes and new cars, lots of cheekbones. You ever notice that? You know, you, you see people, you know, you see people like, po- what? They pose in the middle of the street. Like, what? Like, bro, why are you in the middle of the street? And there was, they're taking a picture in the middle of the street. That's where the cars are supposed to be, right? There's this one where this, this guy's standing in the middle of the street with his shirt off, and, and he's looking down at his chiseled abs. And the caption beneath the picture is, oh, wow, hashtag blessed. Like, oh, wow, I didn't realize how good I looked. You know, how blessed I am. I mean, this word blessed, it gets trivialized in so many ways, but it's such a rich and it's such a beautiful word. We cannot stop using it. We have to reclaim it. We have to show its beauty. Again, how? Well, I have said earlier in our series and really every week in one way or another that, that blessing is fundamentally about having a relationship with God. And this is where we have to begin and this is where we can never leave. Anytime you start thinking about blessings in a way that gets disconnected from a relationship with God, you're heading off track. Never allow God's blessings that he does give to become more important than God himself. You can say it like this, don't separate the gifts from the giver. Bible never does that, and we do that all the time. I also said earlier that by definition that blessings are always gifts of grace, that that we we never deserve them, that we cannot earn them, work for them, we cannot claim them. They're, They're gifts. And a big part of the way that like hashtag blessed cheapens the idea is that it makes it about me, right? Look at how blessed I am. You know, look at all the things I have, hashtag blessed. By contrast, and you see this over and over again in scripture, the idea of blessing in scripture is that you are given gifts because the giver is so good. It's about God. The giver has thought about you. He's paying attention to you. He sought you out. He gives you gifts as a part of him giving you himself. And so whenever, whenever you say you're blessed, it should mean, and it should be in the forefront of your mind, I have been given gifts by the king of the universe because he's good and because he wants me to flourish and have joy. And so with some of that reminder of the depth of this word in our minds. Let me just say it to you again, and I want you to respond to it. You are so blessed, right? Do you realize how blessed you are? You know, because of our sin, we, we deserve nothing, and yet God graciously blesses you with life. You're breathing God's air. He put that air in your lungs. You, you ate God's food this morning that he gave to you. You have clothes in your body that he provided for you. You woke up this morning because God sustained you last night. We have so many blessings, so many material blessings in our lives, but we have to keep reminding ourselves that the Bible is so clear that our greatest blessing, our 
greatest blessing is the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. And, and if you look at your life and you think the material blessings you have are so immense and like, wow, you need to stop, start thinking about the spiritual blessings. And, and we see this promise that God makes to Abraham being partially fulfilled throughout the Old Testament. But the Old Testament ends with expectation, this longing for a Messiah to come who's gonna fulfill all God's promise. And Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the one who has come to bring God's blessings, the blessings of God's reign and kingdom to the ends of the earth. Look at how Paul unpacks this in Galatians chapter three, verse 13, where he writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. A blessing and curse, they're like opposites, and Paul's talking about the curse of the world that comes from our sin the curse that's God's judgment on a world that's rejected him. And Paul says, Christ came and Christ bore our curse. Go, go back to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel represents our attempts to ascend to God through our own works. But the cross is God's sign of God descending to us in his grace. Jesus came and took our curse on himself. He fulfilled the law through his death and through the blood of the cross, Paul says, we are redeemed. We are set free from the curse. But we're also set free for something. Sometimes Christians spend way too much time just talking about only what we're saved from. Christ redeemed us from the curse for, for the blessing. We have something we're saved for, and that's the blessing. And we see that in Galatians 3, verse 14, the next verse where Paul talks about the purpose of Christ dying in our place for our sins. And notice he says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of, what's that next word? Abraham. The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So, so you see what's being talked about in Genesis 12 is what we know through Jesus Christ, Paul says. Christ is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Christ is the blessing that has come to the nations and to us so that we might be filled with God's spirit so we can live trusting in God in faith. And so Jesus comes and Jesus, what does he do? He creates a new people, a redeemed people, not of one nation, but of many nations. And Jesus is creating a new place. And it's not just one part of creation like a garden. He is renewing all of creation. And Jesus calls all of his people to a divine purpose, not just to receive blessings, but to be a blessing to those around us. As I said, you are so blessed. And recognizing how blessed we are in Christ should expand our understanding of who God is and what God has done for us. One of the best places to see this is in the first chapter of Ephesians. I love Ephesians uh, chapter one, verse three, where it says, in Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And if you read the verses that follow, Paul kind of delineates a number of what some of those blessings are. He tells us that in Christ, you know, you are chosen from eternity past. You are holy and blameless. You are adopted into God's family. You are redeemed. 
from slavery to sin. Aren't you glad? He, he says, you are forgiven by lavish grace. God lavished that grace on us. He, he says, we are heirs of the Father. He just goes on and on and on. There's so much more in the New Testament. And, and again, none of this is because of what you do for God. All of this is because of what God has done for you by his grace. Everybody say, praise God. See, because God is so good, because God has blessed us so much, we should feel gratitude. That's how he wants his people to live. And then there's the, the third always. Third always, always, it is always God's command that God's people live to bless others. And as I said earlier, I want you to do something. And this passage is telling you what to do. This passage is telling you that you are blessed in order that, so that, for the purpose of you being a blessing to others. And I just want, I want to stop here for a moment. And I want, I want you to ask yourself, do I truly see this as a purpose for my life? When you wake up tomorrow morning and you're getting ready to go to work or whatever it is you're gonna do as you start your, your week, are you gonna be thinking about that at all in any way? That God has blessed me so that I can be a blessing? Let me put it this way. Maybe you wanna write this down. God's blessing on you must never stop with you. God's blessing comes to you so that it can flow through you to those around you. That's the purpose of your life. And, and again, we see this throughout the Bible. God makes the promise to Abraham. It's being fulfilled throughout the Old Testament. It is ultimately fulfilled completely and perfectly in Jesus Christ. And, and in the New Testament, we, we, we see uh, Jesus drawing his people into his work of blessing, how God is blessing the world. And he has chosen us in his grace you know, to bring us into that work. Let me just remind us that the church is not meant to hoard God's Grace. How many of you are hoarders? I don't want you to raise your hand for that one. <laughs> I, I, I'm your pastor. Honestly, I don't, I don't really want to know that. Um, how many of you are spiritual hoarders? And, and like, really, honestly, you just think the blessings of God are for you? Like, for your own life, for, for you just to enjoy them. You say, oh, I don't think that. Well, if you don't do anything about that to bless others, then you think that. Good place for an amen right there. I know you don't want to say it, but it's true. See, we are meant to be conduits of God's grace. I was thinking this week, um, you know, We've had all this rain in the last few weeks, and of course, in the last few years, we've had all this drought, and so a lot of us have spent a lot of time thinking and talking in these last few years about, about water and about reservoirs and about river, and, and I was just thinking, you know, as Christ followers, we are not called to be reservoirs of God's living water. We're called to be rivers. In fact, that would probably be a really good personal mission statement for some of us, and even for our church, Rivers, not reservoirs. 
You are blessed to be a blessing. So what has God given you? How many of you know the old hymn? You're already thinking about it right now. Count your blessings. Have you ever heard that hymn? How many of you know that? I just want to see how many of you are old like me. Um, <laughs> if you don't know that hymn, you should go check it out and you should listen to it. And, and it really ha- is a good thing for us to, to count our, our blessings. Do you know what they are? Are you aware of them? Are you conscious of them so that you're giving thanks to God for them? You know, what has God given you? Every good gift is from God above, James 1.17 says. So what blessings has God bestowed on you? Maybe you're here today and you've been blessed in your career or your work. How, how can you leverage that to bless other people? Maybe you've been blessed with a good education. Are, are there ways you can leverage the things you've learned to, to bless other people? Some of us have been blessed with financial resources. How can you use the money that God has blessed you with to bless others? Wait a minute, Pastor Mike, don't go boot. I'm just saying what some of you are thinking right now. It was all good until he brought the money up. How can you bless others? You know, our, our, our student ministry has uh, had the weekend, and we've got some students in here right now, and uh, we're gonna have a lot of students in the second service as well. And so really, for you students here in here right now, this is for you also. I mean, think about school. It's where you spend most of your time, right? Yeah. How can you be a blessing to other students? Here's a weird idea. How can you be a blessing to your teachers? Ooh. And, and, and while, while we're having really weird ideas, I mean, just ask you students, how can you be a blessing to your siblings? Ooh. Like, like, how can I share the love I've received from God with my brother or my sister who drives me crazy all the time? Yeah, and it is possible. I know some of you don't believe that. It is possible, why? Because God has blessed you. Wherever you are in life, whether you're young or old, be a river, not a reservoir. Don't be a spiritual hoarder. See, the Christian life, it really is about constantly receiving and giving. The Christian life is a life of open hands, of worship and and praise and gratitude that expresses itself in loving service to other people, right? See, what we have seen in the book of Genesis, there really are two ways to live life. There's Genesis 11 and there's Genesis 12. And some of us live in Genesis 11. And if you do, you can try to live your life to build your own kingdom and make a name for yourself. Or you can live in Genesis 12, which means you live for God's kingdom and you make much of God's name. So what about you? What are you doing with your life? You know, sometimes we just don't slow down to ask those big questions that our, our souls are actually constantly asking us. So they just keep cropping up. But what we do 
as we push that down and we suppress it and we, we do that in a lot of ways, like just scrolling through TikTok or Instagram or just clicking channels, surfing, you know, uh, through the channels or on the internet. Do you realize that you do that sometimes? You just occupy your mind so you don't have to think about big stuff that's in life. Maybe you need to slow down this week and get quiet and do that long enough that you can ask yourself these questions. Let those things kind of sit and, and, and just rest in your mind and your heart. Just ask, what am I doing with my life? Am I living to be a blessing to other people? Is that really what I'm doing? You know, Jesus says very famously, Mark 8, 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their souls? Following Jesus always means we deny ourselves, live for him, and that out of that we experience the blessing and the abundance of God's grace. And so I, I wanna set this before you, and as we close, I want to um, acknowledge two enemies to what we've been talking about today, and then I wanna give you an invitation. And here are the two enemies, okay? You can write this down. I've been trying to get you to see how, how you are so blessed and therefore can be a blessing to you others. And one enemy to the blessed life is comparison. Some of you are so unhappy because you live in the land of comparison. See, if you spend your time comparing your life to others, your gratitude will just drain away. You will not think about all the things that God has blessed you with. You will be focusing on all the things you don't have, all the things that other people have. And however that plays out for you, you need to know, you know whether it's social media or what you see in movies, what you listen to on podcasts or through the friends that are in your life, you've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the standard. Don't live your life comparing with other people because it'll never be enough and you'll never know his blessing. Second enemy of the blessed life is entitlement. See, if comparison blinds you to what you have, all the blessings in life, then entitlement says, well, yeah, I have it, but I deserve it. I work for it. This is mine. Never forget that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing Never forget that we rebelled against the very one who made us and who loved us and who gave his life for us. We deserve nothing, and yet he has given us everything. Amen? Let that sense of entitlement be chipped away by God's grace. Let it be replaced with gratitude that all we have is a blessing and a gift from God. Those are the enemies. Here's the invitation, and it's simply to trust you gotta live trusting. You gotta live by faith. You know, Abraham, he was this model for everything we should, I mean, he was not a model for everything we should be. In fact, read his story. He messed up a lot. See, Genesis is not a story of how great Abraham is. It's a story of broken people that are pointing us to a savior who comes for all of us to make us all new. And what we see with Abraham in this passage is that he simply trusts in God. He gives up on his own efforts he walks away from the identity he had, from the security and the comfort he had, and he puts it all on Jesus, the Messiah that he looked forward to in faith, the, the Savior who would one day come. And that's what we do too. If you really want to know a life of blessing, it always comes back and is all about 
Jesus. Receiving Jesus. Living in Jesus. And saying, as we sang just a few moments ago, that's enough. If Jesus is all I have, then I have all I need. You are blessed, so blessed. So take what God has given to you and go and be a blessing for others. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Southwinds, will you say amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, uh, again, we confess we are so blessed. And again, we say thank you for all of your blessings. And most of all, Lord, may we never stop thanking you for the gift of Jesus, the gift you give us of yourself. Lord, speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit right now as we ask your forgiveness for the times when we have lived like your blessing is just for us. Lord, forgive our entitlement and forgive us for living in comparison, looking at others instead of you. Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak even now to, to show us where we should bless others, where we should let the river of your good blessings flow through us to those around us. Lord, I also wanna pray that anyone who is here who has who's never received the, the greatest blessing of all, which is a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, by your spirit, would you now open their eyes? grant repentance and faith, Lord, even now, so that people come to know you through your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory that all God's people say, amen.